Okay, Micah chapter 1, we'll start um, looking at some verses there and as we uh, begin our study tonight. And uh, last week we looked at Jonah, and Lord willing, next week we're probably, uh, maybe even twice, uh, once or twice, we may be putting together a couple of books um, in a study. I'll, I'll see, but right now it looks like we may be putting two together next week. And um, anyway, those, tonight we're looking at Micah and uh, studying... Um, this book, it's, uh, again, this is what's called a minor prophet, uh, but it's not because the message is not important. It's a minor prophet because of its size and because it just, you know, um, it, it was something that affected um, for, for a shorter period of time than some of them, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and even Daniel. Daniel is not as long as uh, one or two of the books in, in our study of the uh, minor prophets, but yet Daniel's considered a major prophet because of the message that it has there that's actually worldwide. So as we go into Micah, um, the thought, this phrase is not found there, but the thought of Micah is our incomparable God. We can't compare him to anyone else. He's, he's a God and God alone. And um, there are only, or there are, I said only, but there are seven chapters in the book of Micah. Last week, Jonah only had four. Uh, Jonah is a lot different in some ways in that he's is almost like a biography a little bit of his life and about you know a, a period of ministry over just really months, whereas he probably preached longer than actually you know was included in the, in the book of, of uh, Jonah. But Micah apparently uh, preaches over a period of time to both the northern kingdom and the capital of the northern kingdom is Samaria, and then Judah, uh, Jerusalem is the capital of the southern kingdom, Judah. So we get to. Um, the uh, on our um, let me get this change right. Please change. We get to our timeline and we see where um, Micah roughly is about seven thirty-five to seven ten BC. So he was his ministry lasted roughly about twenty-five years, and it was way before the captivity. But he actually mentions something in one of the the things that he preaches or prophesies about. Um, about Israel going, or about them going into captivity, and that didn't happen until about a hundred years after his ministry ended. So uh, again, as with some of the other prophets, he warned them, uh, preached them about captivity that would come, and sure enough, it did. Um, let's look at a couple of verses that compare, and we'll see. Um, well, the next slide will have the kings of his time, but we see in this chapter where um, chapter 1, verse 1, rather, we'll back up or to Isaiah. And then, um, let's see. Uh, back up to, tell you what, I put Micah 1, 1, and that belongs there, but I should have added also another book, and that is the book of Hosea. But let's go back to the left first to Isaiah. I know I guess... This might get a little confusing with them. Sounds you know similar. But Isaiah, you should be able to find that pretty easy. Go to Psalms and make your way to the right. Pass uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah one verse one. Then we're going to come to Micah in a moment. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, in the days of Uzziah. Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Now, Isaiah, as we said back when we studied that, his ministry was to the southern kingdom only. But, as we'll see, uh, Micah's was to both. But what I want you to see as you look at this verse, it's the same time schedule. Um, 
actually the period of time for Isaiah uh, reaches um, a little farther than the 25 years, but Micah's time is in, sandwiched in that time for Isaiah, if that makes sense to you. All right, so go back to towards Micah, and on your way, after you pass Daniel, you'll get right past Daniel, you'll get to our first minor prophet, and that is Hosea, H-O-S-E-A, Hosea, chapter 1 and verse 1. You'll see the same kings named. The word of the Lord came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, southern kingdom. Uh, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now, uh, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's called to preach to mostly to, to Judah, but it mentions and gives a time frame that during the time of those kings in the northern kingdom, Jeroboam was reigning. And as you know, Jeroboam... Uh, son of Joash, actually was Jeroboam II. He, he was a descendant. And he's, so uh, you see the time frame in those verses are similar to Micah. Now you go back to Micah, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah the Morashathite in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So God uh, gave him a message to preach, prophesy, if you want to use that word, to both Samaria, the northern, uh, the capital of the northern, northern kingdom, the ten tribes, and then Jerusalem, which is the capital of Judah, the southern kingdom. So you see that his time frame was with Isaiah, and even though I didn't put it up here, I meant to, also with uh, Hosea. So as we look at this... Um, the, the kings are mentioned there. This is their time frame. So we see that he started 735 to, and went to 710. So his prophesying goes from the very tail end of the time of Jotham through the time of Ahaz and the first five years of Hezekiah. So that's how it breaks down for his ministry. Uh, go with me to, uh, before going into Micah, go with me to Jeremiah for just a moment. Jeremiah chapter 26 in verse 18. In a moment, when we get a little further, when we get there, we'll, we'll see that to be a small book as it is, only seven chapters, Micah is quoted several times in the New Testament. But let's look at Jeremiah 26 in verse 18. Micah the Morashathite, that was, that's the title he's given in the first verse of Micah, prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah, and spake to all the people of Judah, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Zion shall be plowed like a field, and Jerusalem shall become heaps, and the mountains of the house, the high places of forest. And so uh, you read on down through there and continues this message, but you see what he says here and tells them, look, it's going to be destroyed. And that didn't happen until about, like I say, about 100 years or so after he prophesied this, but it did come to pass that um, Zion, of course, is the mountain in Jerusalem. Um, it's in, in the book of... Um, I think I have the reference in this tonight. In fact, in the book of um, Psalms, it calls Mount Zion uh, the city of the great king. It's right there in Jerusalem, and uh, that will be the mountain of the Lord whenever he comes back to reign in the millennial, during the millennial reign. So that's just a little background and going into uh, Micah. So here's a quick, like we do usually, here's a quick summary in three basic points of an outline, and then we're going to break it down just a little bit more than that. And then we're going to look at some highlights in the book as we, as we continue in our GPS. So the word hear or hearken is found ten times. Hearken one time, hear nine times. You see that word uh, throughout uh, the book of, the book of uh, Micah. 
And each time he's, he's addressing an audience. In chapters 1 and 2, the people are summoned to hear. He has a message for all the people, both in the northern and southern kingdom, to Samaria and Jerusalem, Israel and Judah. And so they're summoned to hear the message that he gives to, to them. Then the leaders themselves are summoned to hear uh, what he has to say. And then strangely, you'd think the mountains, how are the mountains summoned to hear? But the things that he says in chapter 6 and 7 have to do with, um, we'll see it when we get there, a little bit it has to do with the millennial reign of Christ, uh, but it also has to do with uh, the birth of Jesus. And so it's like he's talking to all of creation there. When he, when he, when he says something, it's too... Um, to the mountains, but it's not just any, it's the mountains there of Israel. It's, it's the mountains because, as you know and remember, God's covenant with them is that they were going to get a geographical piece of land. It is theirs. It's not yet theirs. There are some people there in the land in unbelief now, but one day it will be theirs in its fullness and much bigger than it is now, in fact. So let's look at breakdown in um, uh, chapter by chapter. In chapter 1, he addresses Israel's idolatry, and of course Israel is the northern kingdom, and as we said, he, he preaches or prophesies to both of them. And um, let's look a little bit at his, at his message. We read verse 1 of chapter 1. Read down to verse, from verse 2 with me if you'll follow down to verse um, 6 for now. Hear all ye people, hearken, O earth, and all that therein is, let the Lord God be witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord cometh forth out of his place, and he will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. And that's in the future, of course. And the mountains shall be molten under him, and the valleys shall be cleft as wax before the fire, and as the waters that are poured down a steep, a steep place. Now he gets into the present. For the transgression of Jacob is all this. Um, Jacob is another name for Israel, and he, and he indicates that in the rest of this verse, uh, sentence. And it's for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? Samaria is the capital. And what are the high places of Judah? Are they not Jerusalem? So he's talking to them about the idolatry in both northern and southern kingdom and their capitals being Samaria and Jerusalem. Verse 6, Therefore I will make Samaria as a heap of the field, and as plantings of a vineyard. And I will pour down the stones thereof in the valley, and I will discover the foundations thereof. And he continues it on through verse 9, also including Judah, that there would be, God would bring his uh, chastisement upon them because, you know, as this, the problem they've been having, over and over and over, their idolatry. So God uh, addresses their idolatry in chapter 1, both of both kingdoms, uh, Israel and Judah, actually. Then in chapter two, he addresses their injustice and how they were treating their own uh, their own brethren, their own people. Uh, they were um, uh, they were mistreating the poor uh, and so forth. Look at verse. Um, let's see. Pick up a verse. Uh, let's, let's look at the. Skip down, to verse, skip down to verse 4. In that day shall one take up a parable against you and lament with a doleful lamentation and say, We be utterly spoiled. He hath changed the portion of my people. He hath removed it from me. Turning away, he divided our fields. Therefore thou shalt have none that shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. Prophesy ye not, say to them that... Uh, to say they to them that prophesy, they shall not prophesy to them, they shall not take shame. O that, verse 7, O thou that are named the house of Jacob... Is the Spirit of the Lord 
Is the Spirit of the Lord straightened? Are these his doings? Are not, uh, do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Even of late my people have risen up as an enemy. You pull off the robe with a garment from them that pass by securely as men averse from war. So they were, he uses the example of, of taking their garments. So they were exporting the poor of their own people, and so they were mistreating them. And he addresses their injustice uh, towards each other. Then you get to chapter 3. And he holds the leaders accountable for uh, for the um, um, the sins of of the nor- of those in north and south. He holds their leaders accountable to that. Look at chapter three, verse one. And I said, "Here, I pray you, O heads of Jacob, and you princes of the house of Israel." So he's he's uh, he's um, addressing Israel, the northern uh, kingdom first. Is not for you to know judgment, who hate the good and love the evil who pluck off the skin from, uh, from off them and their flesh from off their bones, who also eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them, and they break their bones and chop them in pieces. As for the pot and the flesh within the cauldron, they shall cry unto the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will hide his face from them at that time. They have behaved themselves ill in their doing. So in this chapter, he addresses the uh, leaders and holds them accountable for the way they were treating their own people, uh, the injustices they were doing in chapter 2, now he holds the leaders in, in, in accountability for that. Then he kind of changes course uh, in midstream, so to speak. And in chapter 4, uh, and we'll come back to this in a little bit, but in chapter 4, he begins talking about the millennial reign of Christ, this way yet future, of course. And then there's some more of that in chapter 5, and then uh, also in chapter 7. And so he begins to talk about what will happen uh, when Jesus reigns on earth. Um, he prophesies of the, of the coming millennium. Uh, I think we're going to come back to these verses in a moment, but pick up at verse 1. Let's read a few of these down to verse... Um, uh, let's, let's read down to verse number five, uh, number 4. But in the, Chapter 4, verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow into it. So what he's referring to and talking about, of course, is when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom. thousand years of perfect peace on earth, he'll, he'll reign there in Jerusalem, verse 2. And many nations shall come. There will still be Gentiles on earth during the millennium. Many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse 3, and he shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. We're going to come back to this. And their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall set every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And none shall make them afraid for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. God says, I'm saying it and I'm going to make it good. It's going to happen this way when, when Jesus reigns on earth. He will reign as King of kings and Lord of lords and he will reign from Jerusalem and there will be nations, Gentiles, living on earth during the millennium who will come to Jerusalem. There's some other places about that in uh, Zechariah. When we get there, we'll go in a little bit more uh, detail about that. So let's move on with our outline then we'll look at some highlights. Chapter 5, there are the promises of the Messiah's life and ministry, and we'll, we'll skip that for now because we're going to come look at those in a little more detail in just a few moments to look at some references. And there are promises about his life and his ministry 
um, in the, that will happen while, you know, when he comes the first time, the first advent. Again, make a side note here. and We've seen this several times in our studies from Isaiah on, actually, from the, what we call the major prophets so, so far all the way through. Um, and sometimes he can go one chapter talking about the millennium, then he can go another chapter and start talking about the first, uh, first coming of Jesus. And then sometimes in the same chapter, he can talk about a verse or two here, and it's not in order. He'll talk about something that during the millennium, then he'll talk about something during his ministry. Sometimes, as we saw in uh, Isaiah, a couple of examples, in one verse, it'll have something about his first uh, coming and his second coming all in one verse. So, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be in order. In our minds, we think it does. But God throws it all out there because in God's mind, it's already happened. In God's mind, it's already, everything's going to take place. So it's like, well, I'll throw you out some, some details about the millennium. And, oh, before that, this is what will happen when he comes the first time. So we'll see that in chapter 5 a little bit uh, in just a few moments. Then in chapter 6, we get to Israel's accountability and their blessings. Um, when, when they honor God, when they honor the Lord, they're blessed because of it. And that's true, you know, for anyone. Uh, if we honor if we honor him, he will bless us, and we see, and we're going to look at a, a couple of these places in chapter six a little closer as we get um, towards the end of the study. But he talks about their um, accountability um, uh, to 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 give an account of what they've done wrong, and then the blessings for what what the Lord will do for them. Look at chapter one, verse one. Hear ye now that. Uh, what the Lord saith, arise, chapter 6, verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 6, 1. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear, O ye mountains, the Lord's controversy, and the strong foundations of the earth, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel, O my people, what have I done unto thee, and wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. For I have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Now he goes into history as he often does. He talks about what he's done for them in the past. So this comes from Exodus, especially chapter 12, where he brought them up from, from uh, brought them out of Egypt. Uh, continuing verse 4, redeemed thee out of the house of the uh, servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Of course, they're two brothers and a sister and family. Then you get to chapter 5, I mean verse 5, and he's talking about Numbers 22. This should sound, ring a little bit of a bell. Verse 5, O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the, Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. He's referring back to Numbers 22. Remember where um, uh, Balaam is going is to is curse uh, Israel? And he can't curse him. Remember, uh, God used that donkey, the, the, the ass he was riding on, uh, spoke to him and stopped him. He said, you know, how can you curse whom the Lord has already blessed? And uh, so um, that's what he's referring to in verse 5. So it reminds him of his faithfulness and holds him in accountability for that truth. And then um, skip down to verse... Um, Skip down to verse 8. We'll come back to this actually in a minute too. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. Uh, back in the, uh, the early 80s, the Maranatha music group, um, I don't know if they're still putting out music. They, they, they did for a number of years in the 80s and 90s, put out some great songs, and they were a lot of them based straight from Scripture. And one of them comes from this verse right here, really, really good uh, song I remember that Maranatha put out many years ago. But he has shown, if you, he said, do justly, love, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. God will bless you when you, when you walk with him, when you uh, obey him, 
And uh, so chapter 6 talks about their accountability and their blessings. Then chapter 7, he sums it up and, say, and tells them, look, God can be trusted. He can be trusted. He, he is a God of, of, uh, of his word. He's God. He's faithful. Um, look at verse 7, and he gives the um, contrast here. Trust ye not in a friend, put ye not confidence in a guide, keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lieth in thy bosom. In other words, um, you know, people uh, you can't always trust, but God you certainly can. Uh, and then when you start at verse um, 8 and read down to verse, uh, well, all the way to verse 20 actually, but read uh, 8 all the way the next number of verses, it's gonna, it actually talks about what will happen, uh, part of what will happen in the millennial, uh, millennial reign of Christ. So the book ends up talking about the millennium. So uh, God can certainly be trusted, and we see that chapter, um, chapter 7 as he reminds them of his faithfulness. So let's look at a few things here. Chapter 2, back up there with me in verse 10 and verse 11. So as, as Micah prophesied in his day, as well as during his time, there was Isaiah and there was Hosea. Then we had the other prophets before and after. As he prophesied in his time, um, he warned the people because there were apparently false prophets out there. Um, those that would tell the people what they wanted to hear. Same thing's true today. It's always been that way. Look at chapter 2, verse 10 and verse 11. Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest, because it is polluted. It shall destroy you even with a sore destruction. If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy of thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. In other words, what he's saying is, you're wanting someone who will tell you something good. And you're not wanting somebody who'll give you truth. You're wanting somebody to tell you something good all the time. And, you know, you can't have good all the time. A, 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 even a battery has positive and negative. You can't have good all the time. And he tells them um, that, you know, you, you're wanting these prophets to tell you that everything's smooth and great. And it's not always smooth and great. Truth is not always liked and it's not always well received. And some of the messages he gave to them were probably not very pleasant, but they needed to hear it. They're God's people. Um, we read verse 8 a while ago, but I love this verse. Let's go back to it. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. And that's a verse that if it had been picked up and placed in the New Testament, same truth for us. Because there's nothing in there about keeping the law, is it? It just says do justly, do what is right, treat people right, do what is right, do justly, love mercy, we all should love mercy. God is merciful to us, and we should love mercy. When God extends mercy to somebody, we should rejoice in that. And so, because um, mercy is where God withholds what we really deserve. And so he says to, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with, with your God. And there, you know, all through Scripture you see in the Proverbs and then also in the teaching of Jesus and, and, uh, and James about humility, about the importance of being humble before God and humility. So I love that verse. It's a great verse, uh, no matter Old or New Testament, it's for all believers. All right, let's see. Uh, next one, spend a little time looking at some references. Look at, go back to chapter 4. And then we're going to go to Isaiah and look where one says, now remember they're prophesying at the same time. And one says almost the exact same thing as the other. And, you know, they're, it's not that they're copying each other. They're just preaching the same message that the Lord gave to both of them. And so let's start at Micah 4 and hold your place. Then we'll go back to Isaiah again. Micah 4 starting at verse 1. 
And then we'll read down to verse 4. We actually read some of this a minute ago, or maybe all of it, but I want to read it again and look at the parallel from Isaiah. Micah 4, verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in, top of the, in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and the people shall flow unto it. Obviously a millennium passage. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. We will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the people and rebuke strong nations far off. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. They shall sit every man under his vine, under his fig tree. None shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts hath spoken it. Go back with me to Isaiah 2, and you'll see almost word for word the exact same thing that Isaiah says. Um, in verse 1 it says it comes from Isaiah, and we read where Michael was giving his message. Verse 2 of chapter 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go over to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So take their swords, they'll beat them into a plowshare. That's used for plowing, of course. And a pruning hook is used to prune uh, fruit uh, from a vine. And so what he's saying is when Jesus comes back, he'll set up a kingdom of peace. There won't be any war during his kingdom time for a thousand years. There won't be any war. And so... Uh, what they once used as a sword can now be used to plow field, and the, what they used as a spear can now be used as a pruning hook to prune fruit off of vines because there won't be any war anymore when he reigns. Um, there's a couple of old spirituals that were based on these songs. Neither uh, won't be low, well, war no more, no more. Remember that? I can remember only part of it. I don't know if you've ever been to uh, New York City. I've not, and I don't know how many of you, if you've ever been there, saw the UN building. Anybody ever seen the UN building? UN building is, there's a park outside of the, how's that? Picture. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what you're going to see now is a picture, because I haven't been either. Uh, Ralph, I'm guessing you pronounce it Bunch, unless that E is, is uh, added in pronunciation. There's a park right outside the UN in New York, uh, right outside the UN building. The UN is supposed to be United Nations, and they've been responsible for more wars than you can count. Uh, that's another thing and for another time. But anyway, you, it's hard to see the print there, but the wall in that part right across from the UN, right, out, right close to the UN building in that, in that park, I guess that's a city or a state park, it has Isaiah 2. Uh, the verse there, um, they'll be their swords into plowshares, just, what we, just exactly what we read. And then they have... Um, a statue of a man taking a hammer to beat that sword and to make a plowshare. You see the bottom down there, it looks like it's, it's forming into a plowshare. And so that's there in the UN of all places. <laughs> it's found there and um, it says to not learn war anymore. Well, that's not going to be in this time. Um, during, this, during this age, the church age which we live in, there are going to be wars. And then, of course, during the tribulation, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. So anyway, that verse is found there, and um, it's a pro uh, prophecy of Jesus uh, that Jesus, when he comes back, he will have perfect peace 
on this earth. Chapter 5 of Micah is another place. And these we're going to look at about two or three places that are quoted in the New Testament. Micah chapter 5 and verse 1. Now gather thyself in troops, O daughter of troops. He hath laid siege against us. Now, here he's talking about the fact that there was going to be battle, that they would, uh, that, that um, Jerusalem, well, Judea, rather, uh, here, because it's talking about Judah in verse 2, um, that there would be, you know, troops that would come in, they would be taken over, they'd be eventually taken to Babylon. Uh, into, and that would be 100 years later uh, or so after his prophecy of that. But look at the very second half of that first verse. The Lord puts that right in there. They shall smite the judge of Israel with a rod upon the cheek. So in other words, you're going to have battle, you're going to have war, but one day I'm going to send who he calls the judge of Israel, and he will be smitten with a rod upon his cheek. Go to Matthew 27, if you will. Matthew 27. Now Matthew doesn't say that this is quoted, but what we see from Matthew where he records this is where it actually is fulfilled. Matthew 27. And verse number 30. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. So the prophecy was it would take a rod, and a rod, I guess a reed could act as a rod because it's just, you know, it's a stick. A reed is basically a stick. And in, in Matthew's gospel, it said they'll smite him on the head, and Micah prophesied that he'd be smitten on the cheek with it. And so the cheek is part of the head. So um, Micah 5 verse 1, and of course uh, Luke also records him being you know, struck with a, with a rod, with a, with a reed or with a rod. So uh, here we see, another reason I want you to see this here, he goes from the first coming of Jesus, which specifically is talking about the crucifixion, to the next one in verse 2 where he talks about his birth here. So in other words, back up 30 Three years from the time he's on the cross to now talking about his birth. Uh, Micah 5 2. But thou Bethlehem Ephrata. There were two Bethlehems in the land of Israel. And it's very specific. Micah, um, 700 years plus probably, before Jesus was born, Micah told which Bethlehem it would be. There are two, but he's very specific. Bethlehem Ephrata, Ephrata. Ephrata is an uh, area there in, uh, right there in Judah, and that's the Bethlehem he's talking about. He, he addresses it specifically. Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, southern kingdom, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Now he mentioned judge of Israel in verse 1. Here he calls him ruler of Israel whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. That is, he, even though he'll be born, he's always been. He's God and he's always been. And that's why it says it's been from of, old, of everlasting because he is God and he was uh, in existence. It wasn't that he began to exist when he was born. He had a human body when he was born. Go with me to Matthew 2. Matthew 2. So this is the place where when the, when the uh, wise men, the the from, come from the east to Jerusalem. They see the star. They ask, um, where is he to be born? Matthew 2, verse 1. We'll read down to verse 6 where it's quoted. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, remember we saw the Judah in um, chapter 
5 verse 2 of Micah, Bethlehem, Ephrata, Judah, Judah's southern kingdom. Judea is that region in the southern kingdom. Um, Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. So he gets the scribes and the chief priests. So the scribes would be the ones that readily had the scripture, Old Testament scriptures available. There were scrolls of the Old Testament. And the uh, chief priests, of course, were, were those that, you know, um, ministered in the, in the uh, temple. They, had the off- they did perform the offerings and the sacrifices. He calls all them together. Demanded where Christ should be born. Verse 5, they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Verse 6, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. So these um, scribes, and uh, these priests, and particularly the scribes that knew exactly what was going on, yet unless they believed later, never did believe on him. And hopefully during his life and ministry they did. But at this point, they didn't, they didn't believe on him. But we know one thing for sure, Herod didn't. Uh, Herod, Herod believed uh, that, that, you know, that baby needed to be destroyed. And so, of course, he gives a command, destroy the little boys after that, um, from, from that point to get rid of all them. So Micah predicts it way 700 plus years before, gives the exact area, location, that is in Bethlehem of Ephrata. And sure enough, when he was born, he was born there in Bethlehem. Chapter 7, verse 6. This is, um, this is uh, 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 the chapter I said where there's some, um, some passages about, um, about Jesus, about God's faithfulness. But it's also it's talking about um, uh, millennium a little bit later. But look at verse number 6. Verse 5, he said, Do not, you know, not put trust in a friend. Verse 6, For the son dishonoreth the father, the daughter riseth up against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. And then when you go over to uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 35 and 36, Jesus says this very thing. And he doesn't... Um, he doesn't say that this is found in Micah, but we see that verse. Those we see the verse there in Micah, um, Matthew ten, verse thirty-five and thirty-six. For I came to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall be there of his own household. Now, it seems like why does he bring division? Well, um, then it's very true then, just as it's true now, uh, when a when a Jewish person converts to Christianity, they're disowned by their family. Uh, and so um, they're an outcast. They're disowned. So he's not saying, I'm coming to be mean to everybody. That's not what he's saying. Those who believe on him, uh, then their family's going to disown them. And that's, that's what happens. Um, and so uh, in, in you know, most, most every case, especially Orthodox Jews, if someone trusts Christ, um, their family will disown them. So he... Uh, he doesn't mention Micah there, but basically that's what he's quoting is from Micah 7, verse 6. So he's seen as the judge of Israel. We saw that in chapter 5 and verse 1 where it talks about his first coming 
Um, and then he's seen as a ruler in Israel, chapter 5, verse 2, which also is about his first coming. Um, the judge of Israel, he'll smite with a cheek, uh, smite on his cheek, verse 2. Uh, ruler coming forth um, out of a uh, ruler in Israel, being born there in Bethlehem. So he would not be a, he would not be a ruler till he comes back the next time. But nevertheless, those verses predict, um, you know, prophesy about him. In chapter seven, verse seven, he's called the God of my salvation, and um, I love that verse, the, that phrase there, very, very uh, personal. Verse 7, therefore, I look unto the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Almost sounds like something from Psalms, doesn't it? There are several Psalms that say the same thing. Uh, Lord is my light and my salvation. He is my rock. And so a very similar uh, reference to him there in, in chapter 7, verse 7. Uh, home address. A few things to, uh, to think about. Maybe if you go back and read over Micah, uh, just to maybe later on do some devotional um, reading through or something, these verses would be helpful. Chapter 2, verse 7. Oh, thou that are named to the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened? In other words, you know, is it, is it limited? Can his spirit not, not work anywhere? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? His words certainly do us good. And um, there's uh, the questions he asks there, and that's a promise for us. We know that they will. Uh, verse six, uh, chapter 6, verse 8. We read a couple of times already. Uh, what is good and what does the Lord require of thee but to do justly? and love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God. Um, chapter 7, verse 7 and 8, we just looked at. We talked. To, he's the God of our salvation. And then verse 8, it says, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. And so he is our light. He gives us light when things seem to be dark all around us, and, and life seems to get dark, and decisions we're making or whatever. He is our light. And then chapter 7, verse 18, um, who is a God like unto thee? We said that, you know, our, our key, even though that word in, incomparable is not found in the, the book of Micah, that truth is found there. Who is a God like unto thee? No one. Um, there's nobody, no one can be compared to him. Uh, verse 18, who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity? And passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He retaineth not his anger forever, because he delighteth in mercy. So even though Micah had some things, hard things to say to them, he ends the book with a wonderful promise about God. That who is like him? No one. There's not another God like him at all. Who is a God like unto thee? So we'll stop there and see if there's any questions or input from Micah tonight. The Lord willing, we may combine Nahum and Habakkuk next week. So uh, Nahum is the next book, and it's only two chapters. And Habakkuk is three chapters, so we may combine those. I'll, I'll, I'll have to see as we go through there. But I don't like to do more than two at a time because it could be a little, little overwhelming. Then we have another three-chapter book a little later, Zephaniah. But we're getting close. We're getting close to the end of the Old Testament. We'll hopefully um, either late September, early October, Lord willing, we'll hopefully start in the uh, in, uh, New Testament, start with Matthew. So. That's going to be hard. Yeah, there's so much to, to do in the Gospels, all four of them. So, and we will take all four of them because what we'll do is we'll look and see how four of them, how they give their different viewpoint. And it makes it more interesting. It gives, I think it makes the Bible study in the Gospels richer when you see that and really adds a lot to it. All right, anything else? Okay, well, let's stand and close in prayer and we'll dismiss. starting to get light, uh, dark a lot earlier, isn't it? Thank you, Lord, for the day you've given us and thank you for your word and for the book of Micah. Thank you for his life and for calling him 
and that he was faithful to you. And Lord, I thank you for what we read there and we see um, in Scripture there how he addresses his people and uh, for, for the immediate time and then also the things that he mentions that will come to pass one day uh, when you come to reign on earth. And I thank you, Lord, that um, you included his book in Scripture and maybe one day in heaven we'll get to, to talk to him about that and about the book that you uh, had him write. Thank you, Lord, for how we're learning from your word. Help us continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Savior. Pray that you'll keep us safe as we leave from here tonight, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.